Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tattoos and Torah, uh, where we discuss things that don't always seemly go with one another. Uh, we have uh, a guest today, um, the very funny comedian and author and host of this uh, rather spectacular podcast. Well, this is a normal. Um, uh, also, my friend, Sarah Benincasa. Welcome. I'm so excited to be here with you, A.D. Like, I'm just delighted this is very cool this is very cool it's very cool on so many levels i think we were just talking before we started recording it's it's cool because technology right so in this particular moment allows us to sort of to connect and record something that we want to say about ourselves and about what's going on in the universe and i think how phenomenal that is you know so in the list of gratitudes um, you know, I have gratitude for this, you know, it's, it's to connect, right? And, and right, I've said before, and I think you agree, right? So the opposite of addiction, the opposite of a lot of uh, maladjustments is connection, right? Johan Hari said it best. So here we are across the country. And uh, uh, yeah, so it's kind of nice seeing into each other's bedrooms, right? You just got something delivered <laughs> just before. I did. I am so thrilled. I mean, I truly, I agree with what you said i feel so grateful to live in a time where we have this technology where we even though we are apart and in many ways isolated during this time we still get to communicate but what i just sort of to that point um i and and by the time this comes out it will have happened but my friend and i organized a socially distant comic-con my friend cecil castellucci who's been writing comics for 13 years and I've written some comics over the years, a couple uh, for Marvel and one for Dan Harmon's company, Starburns Industries. And um, so we're doing this Comic Con where me and Cecil on our respective Instagram lives are going to be hosting different comics world luminaries, as well as just like actor friends of mine who've been in comic book movies and stuff. And so my friend um, Catherine, who's uh, born and raised in New Orleans, was like, do you have enough wigs? because she has a, a Mardi Gras closet. And, you know, some people down there have a whole Mardi Gras room. She has a Mardi Gras closet of all wigs and corsets and beads. And, and I said, um, you know, she lives in Houston now. She still has a Mardi Gras closet. She and her family go every year. So she sent me a bunch of wigs. That's amazing. And they just got delivered. That's amazing. I wish I, I wish we could show everybody the wig. I know. The wig show and tell. Because she said, you know, you need to do costume changes. And we're, we're doing like uh, 50 interviews between the two of us, me and Cecil, all day with these comic book friends on Friday. And Catherine was like, oh, honey, you need, you can't just, you need wigs. And I was like, I love you. <laughs> no, absolutely. I, I, I have a friend who used to have... Um, wink drinking night where sort of like they would go out to a bar or whatever and they would go with wigs and right <laughs> and and she said and i believe right so that when you put on a wig you sort of can transform to somebody else which is which is interesting um so oh, yeah no we sure can definitely i do i absolutely agree that it's transformative that's cool wigs are are uh Wigs are temporary tattoos. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I mean, you know, it's funny because we hold so much in our hair, right? Um, we know even in, in medicine that sort of if I take a piece, if I take a one strand of hair 
it's almost like rings. We one can tell what you ate, the pollution, where you were, if you were using drugs, if you were drinking, if you were happy, if you were sad. Like there's a lot of information, almost like a sort of these tree rings in, in a piece of hair. Um, and in Jewish tradition, at least, um, uh, the Nazarite, if you take a vow of, of Nazarite, if you take a vow to, to sort of devote yourself to, to God, which is uh, not something we recommend in Judaism. It's really something actually that's sort of always very temporary. We don't have monks uh, in Judaism. Uh, you have to cut your hair um, to sort of start fresh, um, which is interesting. Oh, that's so interesting. And that also, I mean, how many places in history and in folklore and in various tales, we talk about the power of hair from Samson and Delilah to Rapunzel to um, to the sort of trope that when a woman goes through a breakup, she cuts all her hair off. Right. To all a sorts Brittany of moment. things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When somebody buzzes their head and doesn't tell anybody, and right. and we go, oh, unless they you know make it a thing like I'm still punk rock and cool, but when they just do it, we all go, oh my god, well, well, our hair is very. I mean, I. Um, yeah, there's strength in here for sure. Yeah, I, I, when I had, I went through a nervous breakdown when I was 21 uh, and dropped out of college and um, was very agoraphobic and really had to get into cognitive behavioral therapy and, and uh, psychiatric care uh, outpatient, which was lovely. Um, and uh, I, I cut my hair during that time. And that was absolutely uh, an example of that. It was this. I need a change. Something has to change. I don't feel right inside. This is an outside signifier. Right. It's it's yeah. It's fascinating. I always feel like the same. Like you know, Medusa and sort of the like sort of like this sort of super frightful. Um, you just mentioned it. Do you want to say a word or two for people who don't know what agoraphobic is? Oh sure. So phobia is fear, and agora means marketplace. But the you know so the direct translation. I'm afraid of malls too. I'm afraid of malls. I'm afraid of shopping. Sorry, I don't mean to, to dismiss it. I'm just no. I always that's what I always say. I always say that I'm always like, uh, it's my diagnosis that I'm afraid of the mall, which is not true. I'm from New Jersey, and I love a mall. <laughs> I feel very at home in Southern California amongst the mall culture. But um, no, it, really, it's it's uh, sometimes I'll then quote the Dixie Chicks and say wide open spaces, and then add are my nightmare. But it, it what it is is a, it is a fear of being outside your physical geographic comfort zone. So for some people, they can become as I was at one point housebound. I was I was um, you know afraid to leave my bedroom, uh, and it's obviously quite illogical because this was not during wartime. This was not during I, I didn't live in a dangerous neighborhood. It wasn't during the time of the Quarona, <laughs> quarantine of the Rona. Uh, so it is, um, it is an anxiety disorder, like I believe all, I believe all phobias are, and uh, it is an irrational response. But to say irrational, I don't attach any kind of. Uh, pejorative sort of moral judgment there it's sim it's something that your brain is doing and you know the reasons for it are i think with anything else a combination of nature and nurture that there are very real things that happen in the brains of people with severe anxiety disorders um as in people with um addictions and some of us get to help both and and some of us use the latter to treat the former so i thought i was scot-free when i got better, quote unquote, finger quotes, from agoraphobia. But the thing is, 
uh, one learns how to manage it. It doesn't go away. You don't get cured, I don't think, although you may be free of it, but it can come back through. And I realize now that for years, I, um, when I was feeling better, so to speak, eventually I started to treat my uh, agoraphobia with alcohol. And um, so I understand that now. But that's been a huge part of my life. And and I just want to say, speaking of being in the house, um, if you hear bizarre noises behind me, it is my beautiful cat, Polly, just punching things randomly. She likes to be on a Zoom call, I've noticed. most. It seems like most animals do these days. They see us focusing our attention, and they want to know. It's very interesting. I, I see it with her when I'm in my sobriety group meetings, when... I'm interviewing people for my podcast. And right now, she, you know, they start to come up and sometimes they'll try to jump up right on the desk. Like they really want to know what you're looking at. Right. No, they can <laughs> they can sense a shift in energy for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so many of what you just said. So I guess first, right, which is which is interesting. Um, and we talk about in this podcast and in general a lot about how many addictions, in fact, I would say most addictions, um, start as a solution to a problem. Right. So the sort of right, the alcohol to sort of solve the agoraphobia or to just lose things in up before the party, just to make yourself less anxious, less self-conscious, you know, sort of like those things or right. Or, or, or people who use um, heroin for the first time when they have been severely abused or trauma and all of a sudden they feel normal. Right. Um, or, or this perceived or normal. And then like, yeah, this is great. Right. So like. You know, in the 80s, right, sort of like doing lines of cocaine and be like, this is amazing. Why would I not want to feel like this all the time? Right. And and then it becomes yeah. it then becomes a bigger problem. Right. So so in many ways, right, sort of that sort of unfortunate kind of the 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 trajectory of a lot of addictions. Right. And then you'd be like, oh, yeah, here I solved my agoraphobia. I can just take a drink and I can go outside, you know, and then all of a sudden, like sort of you, you can't manage either. But but the the more important thing is sort of like we said like irrational and and as you were saying like there was something in my stomach too it's so like irrational but like you know but so human right like right I, I just said this way like you know feeling normal what's normal who's normal right nobody's really normal everybody has anxiety everybody has something and and I, I sometimes I feel I don't know if you feel like it's so destructive of this sort of like normal. Right. Nobody's normal. And we yeah. all have the same. Feelings. It's a dangerous term. Right. And why do I want to compare myself to this quote unquote, you know, either doctors normal or parents normal or whatever it is. Right. Normal. Right. So like you, one of the things that I, I admire about you, that sort of you, you seem to um, thrive at breaking a lot of these boundaries. Right. So like to not define yourself, but this one thing. Right. So like. I will write, I will, I will publish, I will write books, I'll be funny, I'll be demure, I'll be sexy, right? I'll be intelligent, like all these things sort of that sort of you choose to do, whether through your Instagram or your podcast or your books or your media, <laughs> like all the other things. Suddenly I feel very not accomplished, everyone, just so you know, like, right? Um, I mean, like, you're also like a world traveler who speaks like a few languages uh, and has like a family and is like a rabbi and is like super smart and amazing and hot, whatever. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But, yeah, but, <laughs> you, you, but you know what I mean? Like sort of like that sort of this, um, this normalcy 
right? Almost like, fuck normal. I don't want to be normal. And I don't want you to compare me to a normal because like, I'm just me. And I know it sounds a little cliche, but I feel like so many times we try and sort of like, you know, what's wrong with you? Why can't you, you know, leave the house or get a job or have a kid mm -hmm. or get married or whatever it is people think like, quote unquote, normal should be. Yeah, why can't you toe the line of what makes me feel comfortable? Right. And it's always about them, right? <laughs> Never about us. Yeah. And I, I think one gift that my parents gave me, of, of many, <clears throat> is that I can't remember the last time that they put pressure on me to marry a man or to have a child. I truly do not in my mind. I can't, to, for context for the listeners, my parents have been together since they were 17 years old and they met in a one square mile small town in New Jersey. They went to the same high school. My, my dad's dad, my papa, may he rest in peace. Um, he was the principal and um, papa, you know, was college educated and so was my dad. And so that was a dad's, background was um, middle class. Uh, his mom worked as a HR person at Mack Trucks for years. A and that's this Irish American middle class family. My grandma got sober in her 60s. Um, and uh, on my mom's side, you know, she, her dad took off and didn't pay child support. She grew up with a single mom, Italian American family um, on the literal wrong side of the track. And she was the first in her family to go to college, certainly to get a master's degree. So I'm just putting that in context for the listeners to say, my mom and dad grew up watching TV in the 60s. And I would say the, the formative years of them watching TV were in the 1960s. They were born in 1956. So what locked in for them were the sitcoms before the Norman Mailer era of the social change sitcoms. No, did I say Norman Mailer? I meant Norman Lear. Yes, I, 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 I was like going through in my head. I was thinking like, mm, maybe I don't know something. Okay, I'll just I'll just be quiet. <laughs> oh, I'm so entertained by that idea. Like, what would his sitcoms have been like? Very dark. Um, <laughs> I think a Norman so, Mailer life is a different thing. <laughs> God, his, his version of One Day at a Time. Um, but uh, so they grew up with the white picket fence. Not, not blended families, not even the Brady Bunch, right? That came later. So the, the white picket fence, mommy and daddy, two children, a dog, all that stuff. So my parents, I believe, wanted to emulate that because, because of the various traumas in their household. They did not experience that growing up. They saw it on TV and they saw it among their friends, at least the illusion of it. So I grew up with parents who got married at 21, had children at 24. We were going to go to um, good public schools and then go to good colleges, not necessarily fancy, but good, you know, solid. And uh, one would think we would get married, follow their path, I guess, would be the idea. But they didn't pressure me to do that. And I know many people, and I know you do too, again, I'm rambling a bit here, but uh, who the parents did pressure them to replicate their path. And so when they ended up with a kid who eventually came out as, as queer, as bisexual, um, who didn't 
keep going to Catholic Church, which to be fair, neither did they once they learned about the systemic abuses within the church that they thankfully did not endure when they were kids. Um, but I, I don't go to church. I didn't get a, have a steady boyfriend. I've had boyfriends, I've had girlfriends, but I didn't get married. Like, you know, I tried, I wanted to follow a more conventional path. I, I got a master's degree from Columbia um, in education. I thought I was gonna be a teacher like my mom and like my father's father, but I didn't fit. And my parents were okay with that. You know, when I became a stand-up comedian, they had some questions, but <laughs> yeah, understandably, but I always, I always had jobs. I always worked. And so that's where the philosophy that I have that real artists have day jobs, which is one of my books comes from, which doesn't mean that you, I had a few, um, you, you work with some, uh, lots of wonderful people, some of whom, um, have a lot of acclaim as artists and, um, are often the most incredible, fascinating people. So I don't want to tarnish all, uh, celebrities with this brush, but I do have a couple of friends who are, um, high profile people who said, well, my book came out <laughs> sort of precious. They said, I, but I haven't had a day job in years. Do you like not see me as a real artist? And I'm like, we're literally sitting in your $3 million house that you bought with your art. I think you're a real artist. That's not what the title means. That's not it. And most of my friends right. aren't that way. But you know, they had a little, it was sort of sweet. Like, oh, you have a little tender moment. This is adorable. Um, I don't mean that. I just mean that if you are an artist, you make your art. Right. Whether it's every day, every month, every year, whatever, you're an artist. It's right. okay if it never pays the bills. So anyway, this is a very long way of telling the audience and you that I feel very glad that my, my parents, they, they didn't, I think they realized they had a weirdo and, and, and that they themselves are weirdos. You know, they might have right. the external trappings of quote unquote normal in the old fashioned right. TV family way, but, but they're wacky themselves. So and, and many of their friends are what would be labeled as eccentric or different, you know, right. people who never got married or who had many lovers or whatever. Uh, so I feel fortunate because of that. Right. But, but I think that's just exactly, and I love that. I love that story. Um, like you, I love origin stories. I like, you know, towns and things. But like, I think that to the point, the sort of that, that um, there is no normal, right? Here you are a let's say Aussie and Harriet kind of a thing, right? And like, no, here mm -hmm. they are accepting of their, you know, queer, non-married, you know, sort of like, you know, educational master, sort of a comedian author person, right? So like there's no, right? There's no such thing as normal and we all sort of make do. And you said something, right? Which I think is, is important um, because it's sort of like, that word is, I've used it in a different context. You said about, I don't fit in. And many times in terms of both the Chuba Center, the sort of that, you know, where the center that I'm building and, and in general, like that I often say to clients and people, I, whether it is my household or whether it is the center that I'm, I'm, I'm building, that I don't want you to fit in. I, I, you know, screw fitting in. I want you to belong. Because fitting in means that you um. somehow you have to fit into some kind of, of either definition or a boundary, right? You fit into like, right? A dress or a coat or a, or a root, like screw that. I don't like, who wants that? Nobody fits in. I want you to belong because I want you to come as you are. I want to be as you are. Fitting in somehow means that I have to sort of like somehow expand myself or diminish myself in a way to sort of fit somebody else's mold of again, of what I think is 
normal or acceptable or rational, whatever that's it is. That's so beautiful. To say, I don't want you to fit in, I want you to belong. That's profound. That's deeply deep. Thank you for saying that. That's very beautiful. Um, because, yeah, fitting in means that you are the same cookie cutter as other people. And that's boring. Wow. Uh, you know, broad, broadly speaking, I would say that my friends are, for example, broadly speaking, they are, uh, I don't know what I could call them broadly speaking. I'm trying to I would say, say they probably, I, would, I would say they're probably there themselves, right? That they're each in their own way are themselves, right? Yeah. Okay. My, my best friend from when I was little is a, a, a housewife. Uh, mom to two boys, um, wife to a, a, a military man in living outside Milwaukee. And they have a beautiful like uh, home and they're so weird. It's great. Like they <laughs> zig when you think they're going to zag. They have, they are like my, they remind me in, in good ways of my mom and dad in that you could look at them and go, ah, oh, they're this way, but they're like weird. They're, they don't, they're not going to like, uh, you know, weird workshops about finding your inner artist, the kind of thing I'd probably give for my, that I have to offer my, they're not doing that, but they're deeply like, we go to a fish fry when I visit and they will come out with some stuff. Like they're just adventurous. And, and my other dear my friend, Catherine, who grew up in New Orleans, the one who sent me this box of wigs Well, she went to law school and she married a lawyer and, um, her mom was a cocktail waitress who studied and became a, a master sommelier, one of the first ma women master sommeliers in the state of Louisiana. Uh, she's not, she, her, Catherine's house is beautiful. Her husband's a babe. Like their kids are gorgeous, but they're, they're weird and hilarious. They're not, you know, nobody, people behind the facade. I think this is why I'm fascinated by origin stories because behind the facade, there's always something so interesting. And sometimes the facade appears to be like a David Bowie, like somebody who's really creative and out there. And then you find out that they really love watching Shark Tank or they really love, I don't know, Wonder Bread. And it just doesn't fit with your image of them. I just, I find people endlessly fascinating. And <laughs> yeah. That just so interesting. And sometimes I like will stare. I know I look a little bit possessed sometimes when I stare when you're talking. I know I've been told this multiple times that I look a little, like I get very intense. It's because I'm focusing so intently. And you'll notice as we're on Zoom and the, the listeners are not on Zoom, but I try when I can to look into the web camera and sort of watch you out of the peripheral. Right. It's very hard. My eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's very same, hard. I and thing, I go cause between. Because, like, right, you kind of like think, but you know. I, it's funny because I think technology after all this will change. I think we'll see a huge jump in the sort of technology because all of a sudden, like, while I'm very thankful of Zoom, thank you, Zoom, for all of this, right? Um, I think all of a sudden Zoom seems so provincial and simple, oh, right? And you're yeah. like, why can't I talk at the same time? Like, sort of like right? So sort of like there's also the different things. So I think there's, there's going to be a huge uh, uh, technology jump in that. But um, but yes, I think, I think everybody is kind of, weird and freaking the same way and a facade is just that it's a facade right and like you know and and yes i had a prof i had a philosophy professor a long time ago very deep man like really super super smart and deep but was addicted to the young and the restless 
was like you know like was like you know and if he couldn't see it but he would make his his daughter like tape it this is right this is pre dvr this is right vhs like he would have his tapes of like the episodes because he couldn't miss it right so like there was no streaming at the time right like we're we're talking pre-internet so right so why and r he loved why and r that was my grandma's soap right so he and he and like really was like needed it right in that way again i think we're all I mean, again, and this is this is part of the beauty of tattoos at all. We're all these different forces, sort of, that create a tension between different things. We're never we're never one thing, right? And and just like, yes, you know, I'm a rabbi, and I deal with deal with spirituality and trying to help people and trying to sort of like you know create spiritual spaces for them. But yes, I also love fashion and like you know like to wear Gucci and Balenciaga and look you know so like I I'm not you know I I think that as you said it's boring when you just everything seems the same and you don't get to express who you are right so like right you're you're so good at this right sort of like the different pieces of expressing who you are and not being apologetic about it right and being very brave to talk about sort of right the the agoraphobia the mental health the the said the nervous breakdown do do you find it um uh do you find it tedious do you find it you know do you find it sometimes exhausting um or or do you just uh i guess what i'm asking is is how much effort do you feel it takes to constantly be yourself versus like you know something i feel like it just takes less effort for me to pretend to be the world what they think i should be rather Mm -hmm. than just be myself right i i think i felt that when i was a stand-up comic um which i still do now and again sometimes i recall i describe myself as a recovering stand-up comedian i am in recovery <laughs> not necessarily from stand-up com- comedy but right. maybe a little bit. i'm usually exclusive <laughs> <laughs> but like you know um there was i felt i when i was a high school teacher briefly and i loved it but i felt i was wearing i felt i could not fit that mold in in what was necessary and appropriate and correct um and by appropriate i mean uh maintaining a schedule uh maintaining my authority as a you know i was 23 24 25 like i was quite young and uh so i don't mean crossing boundaries with with the children at all i mean like the putting on the outfit and not saying the things that I wanted to say and not cursing and blah, blah. And I understand why all those rules are in place, but it wasn't me at that, that time. And I, I had not gotten out of my own adolescence enough to have that perspective. To, today, I would be able to do that because I've grown into somebody who understands how to, I'm an adult now. You know, I wasn't really fully, I think at the time. Um, so throughout my life, to answer your question, there have been times when I found it more exhausting to try and to fit in rather than belong. And so that was true with that. That became true in stand-up comedy because I realized I don't love this enough to be going out every night to work on this, to work on my set, to care about these showcases and to try to get into Just for Laughs in Montreal. These are all within the context of the career, very important things. The fact that I was not finding them important didn't mean that I was a rebel or that I was so badass, I was so artsy. No, it just wasn't the career for me. That's okay, it got 
got me what I wanted, which was to get the attention of book editors and become an author. That's why I started doing stand-up, uh, was to differentiate myself because nobody was publishing what I wrote. So maybe they would if I were a stand-up comedian in 2005, and that was uh, enough of a hook for a while. Um, and so now, you know, I have a, a, a day job working in marketing at a nonprofit. So really that is a creative, it's a creative business job. And then I speak at schools, universities and colleges about mental health awareness. And I have the podcast and, uh, I, um, you know, I'm trying to sell more scripts, which is something I've done in the past and trying to write more books. And so these are all different things. And I work better in my life as somebody who does a bunch of different things, because it means that my identity does not have to be tied to any single one of those things. The challenge is to pray, meditate, use the tools that I have to help me to focus better, to focus, okay, Sarah, you can't do everything. Like my my buddy, Josh Radner, who's an actor who I just had on my podcast, he's on the Amazon Prime show Hunters, and he was uh, on How I Met Your Mother, and Josh done a lot of things. He's an actor, he's a musician, he's a writer, and I always say to him, Josh, I know you're an actor. This is why you people stop you on, like, I know you're an actor. You're a well-known actor, very talented actor, trained actor. I access his work first, really, through his writing, through his newsletter online. So to me, he's Josh the writer, who's also an actor and a musician. And that's because he's a, I call him a renaissance human. I love renaissance humans. I find them very interesting. My access point to him was through that. I like the idea that somebody could have a different access point to my work or who I am and get to know me in different ways. Um, I have some friends who just know me as Sarah in recovery. Cool. I know them by their first name. I have no idea what else they do, but I know them or at least a part of them. And um, it is very nice to be able to move between these worlds. And um, I have to be open about the fact that I, I do different things because I'd be lying and that's, that's, I'd be pretending and, um, I just need people to know, you know, my day job, they know I do other things. I was very clear when I got hired, I'm going to keep doing these other things. Here's, here's how it's going to, here's how I could work with you. And that was fine because we make it work. That's important to me. Um, I think that if I had tried to replicate my parents, lives with their steady careers in the long term getting married young having kids young i think i would have become deep i know that i would have become deeply deeply depressed which happened anyway but i think that i would not have been i think i would have been a difficult mother to my children if i had gotten married and had kids quite young if i didn't get to do all this stuff you know now if a child comes into my life, um, if I'm blessed in that way, or if it's meant to be, I will choose it. I will choose that very lovingly. And, um, you know, that is, that's a, a wonderful thing. I don't know if that'll happen. I don't know if I need or want that to happen even, but I would be a good mother now, I think. Uh, and I would not have been if I had tried to do what I thought was the thing to do, which was you get married to your high school sweetheart. <laughs> I really thought that was like the cool thing to do. 
I mean, for some it is. I mean, for your parents, that's what it is, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. But I thought that was the healthy thing to do. Right. I thought that meant success. Like, right. you get married, and you buy a house, and you do this and that. I really thought those were the signifiers of what made you, ah, you're healthy. Yes, that you're doing what you're supposed to do. And, and I can even say, um, I could even take it out of the heteronormative space, um, although I didn't, you know, I didn't sort of, I didn't come out, I think, until I was like 27 or 28, but um, uh, even if it were a woman, like I still have that, let's, in the queer space, let me replicate that. Okay, so your college girlfriend and, and me get married and we have this many kids and we make this much money and like still trying to fit it into that framework. Right, no, I for sure. I that was right. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. There's a, there is a, a, a a field, a branch in psychology or, or a theory called the uh, um, the self-complexity, I think it's called, um, or, right? Um, and the, the idea is that people who have multiple parts of their lives that are not always in the same uh, uh, sort of like structure are more resilient, in fact, right? Sort of like, which makes, of course, sense, right? Mm. If you are, if you identify, let's say, as uh as a teacher right and all your life as a teacher and all of a sudden like you can't teach anymore you have no ability to self-identify and the more people have tensions the more people have different things right they're an artist they're a writer they're a comedian they're an author the more resilience they have because then the access point as you said is people know them sort of comes from different things and while I think many mm -hmm. times people feel that that's a negative thing because like decide what you are right I, I've always felt like, no, the authentic element of being able to be interested in multiple things, to be able to do multiple things, right? And and be able to accept that sort of, right, you you can be okay at a lot of it, right? Versus the, versus the vision that sort of, um, which some people believe, which is also true, right? That sort of if you want to be the best at, you have to lead, live it, breathe it, whatever, which is, which is a different kind of model of this. But I think the, the complexity model allows us to have more parts of ourselves and identity because it allows us to really reflect, I think, how everybody really is, right? You can oh, be, yeah. right? You can be a right white picket fence person, but also, yeah, like, I don't know, uh, Thundercats. I don't know. Like, I'm trying to think of something. Yeah. Else, right, something. You're really into Thundercats cosplay. Exactly. Or, I mean, I've been thinking about Comic Cons a right. lot, and, and this is true. Sometimes that's the time of the year when people really get to be themselves. I thought what came to mind is um, Serena Williams. She, you know, yeah. uh, the best athlete uh, in the world, the, the best, you know, in so many ways, uh, probably one of the most fit people on the planet. Like, but, you know, and so she was incredibly focused on that her whole life when she was a little girl. She also loves clothing. She loves right. fashion. She right. loves design. She, you know, clearly loves being a mom. And it seems like just, it seems like she and her husband make each other laugh a lot. I don't know them, but they seem to always be like sort of joking around in a really lovely way online. Uh, you know, this is somebody who, even she, who is so focused and you do have, you know, you have to, I think of Misty Copeland too. Like I'm right. sure she was very laser focused on ballet, but they have other aspects of their lives. And so um, that's very important because the identity that we see it, you know, my father's retiring this year. We've spent a lot of time talking about how after all these years, he's 60, how old is my dad? 
he's 64 and um, he's been working at the same company since he was 26. So uh, probably one of the longest employees at that company. Started in the birth control factory, worked his way up. <laughs> Classic tale. <laughs> I had a, 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 a queer relative, a, a man who had a partner um, for, for years, uh, a, a husband, eventually his husband. And I didn't even, in my family, you know, we would go to their house. Stuff. I didn't even realize they were gay for a really long time, even after I knew what gay was. Just because it was never a thing my parents were like, well, right. your, your great uncles are gay. It was just like, Oh yeah, you didn't know that. Oh yeah, like you know. Uh, right. Oh what? You didn't know that? Matter, okay. Very matter of fact. Cor- right. Yeah, and that very sort of the way that you hear about sometimes when you you go, okay, well maybe these aren't families who are have ever been to Pride or even right. know when the parade is or they might not have a rainbow flag or or they've never seen Paris is burning like right. <laughs> you know these sort of signs and signifiers yeah. in in some queer culture. But this just oh yeah, my this is my family. Right. But but anyways, with my dad, we've been talking how identity your identity changes a lot of people get very depressed when they retire so you know we've looked over the past couple years how can we what where does my dad want to volunteer he's been sad lately because he can't volunteer at the hospital obviously um and uh which he likes to do but that's meaningful to him he likes to golf that's meaningful to him he likes his poker buddies he makes fun of the the, there's a couple who i believe are uh trump trump voters he likes to make fun of them a lot. Uh, <laughs> this brings him joy. Do you find sort of like with um, your advocacy for mental health and your own uh, sort of experience in recovery that you have a uh, a strong sort of grasp and sort of like uh, and be able to help him sort of like finding the next thing in terms of you know sort of like now that you're retired, so like, you know, so right, bringing something else to the picture that's of that perhaps you didn't have before. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. We, we got in front of this as a family, you know, we said, okay, dad, you know, um, we, know, than intervention. We, we really did. We were like, listen, dude, like if you're going to retire, okay, uh, let's look at what are there other aspects of business you would like to do? Would you like to be a professor? Would you like to do this and that? We really um, got into it because it is we everyone in my family deals with mental health struggles. And, um, you know, those are their individual stories to tell, of course. But I think they would feel comfortable with me saying that broadly. Um, I would say, in my opinion, I don't know if you would agree. I think my brother is probably the one who deals with it the least. And he is also the one who studied and became a psychiatric nurse. So, you know, and he said, um, now he works more in business, but he's studying for his master's in public health. And uh, my brother, you know, one, one time said, uh, you know, it's not a direct quote, but he said, yeah, of course I became a psych nurse. Says, look, look at how I grew up. This is very normal to me. <laughs> normal, that word normal. You know, he didn't use that word normal. Um, but uh, he's more thoughtful about language, I think, than, than, than I am sometimes. But Well, you're a uh, comedian. I mean, I feel like, you know, we, we you know. Yeah. The buttons is a little more get to break some taboos a little right. bit but like yeah yeah so this is all something we all sort of looked at we try to my brother and i try to look at you know what's going to be what's going to create the best mental health situation for our mother and for our father with their different 
upbringings and backgrounds and different things they contend with. And certainly for ourselves, we have to look at it too, because we don't just, you know, it's important not to try to fix quote unquote other people because that gets into codependency. And also that's arrogant <laughs> to think right. somebody else needs fixing or what have you. But as a, as a, somebody who loves somebody, you want to help create, uh, if, if they are interested and open to it, you want to help them create and choose a life of meaning. And so that's been something we've looked at with, with my dad and absolutely, um, you know, recovery informs that, um, actually being in a dedicated therapy relationship for the past year and a half has helped inform that. It's just to say, what do you, and, and honestly, my teaching background does too. Right. Because one thing they taught us at Teachers College at Columbia University in the city of New York, shout out to my, my alma mater, is they said, ask open-ended questions because if you say, if your guiding question for the day's lesson is, how tall is the Empire State Building? Right. So they can look that up. That's a very the, boring answer, yeah. You know, yeah. do you like frogs? Yes or no? Like, no, right. no, no. Ask. And it, this is something that uh, I, that I apply when I when I read uh, uh, tarot. I look at it. You know, I don't do it professionally. I just do it for fun. But I say, okay, there's no yes or no card here. I think I learned this from my friend Melissa, who's an author and uh, and a talented human resources professional, in addition to being a tarot <laughs> author. Uh, Melissa Sainova. Shout out to Melissa. But um, you don't go, okay, uh, am I going to find love? Like, that's not how I, I use it in some sort of magical, predictive way. I go, all right, please give me some information today. Please inspire some thinking about how I can feel sexier, how I can feel more peaceful, whatever it is. And then I look at these archetypal images that come up, and I look at what the assigned interpretations are, let's say conventionally right, speaking. Right. And then I throw them out the window and see what comes up for me. It just becomes, I, I would describe it often as sort of like a creative inkblot test or something. Um, I don't know how I got to tarot. I'm sorry about that. I'm going no, no, on. but I, I, I like to not because I, I, look, I think that there's tarot, like a lot of different things. There is a certain um, surrender, right? A certain allowing oneself to open up and ask a question of the universe, higher powers you understand, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. Even the self, right? And say like, okay, I'm I'm posing a question, a thought, and then let me see what kind of comes up for me, right? Which I think, right, is both a, ch a tool for mental health, for recovery, to not seek out validation as much as, as you said, trying to find meaning in what you're going through. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, right, again, tarot, whatever it is, that's one of the gifts of of I, I you know, sort of I, I often feel that um, the gifts that we get from self exploring come from the things that created the pain in us to need that self exploring in the first place. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, right. So, yeah. right. The, the 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 mental health sort of that you deal with, the mental health that everybody else is dealing with. Right. So sort of like how can we find it in created into a blessing right the big book says right which is one of my favorite lines in the big book right turning your liabilities into your assets right mm -hmm. so right so here you are a fill in the blanks xxx anxious xxx whatever right 
how can I turn this towards my advantage, right? So we're talking about your father or yourself, you know, yourself, like, right? And your advocacy that you're doing for mental health, right? There's, um, uh, there's a certain sort of charitable element to it, right? So there's something that sort of you, you want to sort of like give to the world the gift of the self, right? Do you feel like that? I mean, I feel like yeah, that's you keep you give, yeah, you get it and you give it away, right? And you, uh, Krista Vernoff, who I believe is the showrunner on Grey's Anatomy, um, uh, one time she, you know, she'll do sort of like, hey, does anybody have any questions about writing or ways, you know? And and I've seen her say this multiple times. And she said it once to me in, in public. She said, I said something like, what do you do? Do you get stuck after all these years of working on the show, knowing these characters, breaking story? Like you know these characters, you live in their world do you still get stuck or something to that extent? And she said, yes. And she said, whenever I get stuck, the first place I go is to be of service. That doesn't mean be of service to Meredith Grey and write a thing where, you know, this character does this, but it means how can I inspire myself again by, uh, how can I help? Like maybe what I'm supposed to do right now is not at all sitting in front of this computer screen, figuring out this, maybe to go bring bread to my neighbor. Maybe I need to go um, make a donation to a charity. Maybe I need to go take a walk and wave at people who would probably be happy if somebody made eye contact with them. You know, these are not Chris's examples, they're my examples, but, um, and that for me, we talk about that a lot in recovery, being of service in some way. It's, it's really, I don't, it's not entirely selfless at all. I mean, I talk on my podcast about my brand is selfish altruism because helping others helps me. It's a feedback loop. And of course it's not selfish at all. I just, you know, it helps to brand things in a funny way sometimes. But um, it is being being of uh, when you are of service to somebody else, it will give you something. Even if the something you get in return is, oh, wow, that person is nasty and they're not here to receive my assistance and I'm just not going to mess with them anymore. It can be, a, it doesn't have to be all joy and light, you know, that you learn for service. But generally speaking, if you give assistance to somebody else without expecting them, and to give it to you in return, you will get a gift in return, maybe not from them directly, but it'll happen from other places. And right. so it, the cycle continues. Right. No, I, I think you know, it's funny. Many times I, I, I talk about how it's OK to be selfish. Right. So like that's sort of like where you have. Right. There's no word. And I think that's a feeling for us. Right. Or there's very few words in the English language sort of that that describe right, what we now call self-care. Right. But like mm. just right. Sort of like being selfish does not mean you're self-centered. Right. Being selfish does not mean you're egotistical. Right. Selfish means right. The sort of that you are internalizing this, as you said, this loop. Right. So whether it goes inside out or outside in. Right. Sort of like no matter what. Right. It's part of uh, it's part of the same thing. Right. In the same way is with compassion. Right. Sort of. You can practice compassion towards yourself so that you can have compassion to the world or you can practice compassion to the world so that you can practice compassion to the self. And I think those th that mm -hmm. loop is is very important. And and in that sense, yes, being of service of charity. And we, we talked before, like, right, this is uh, next week is uh, the new Giving Tuesday, which is a national sort of like uh, at least within the Jewish world, a national sort of day of giving. Right. Sort of that you we focus on giving out and this particular one sort of like, you know, uh, charity of, of uh, giving Tuesday now, because I think so many people are suffering with, you know, with this isolation and oh, sort yeah. of, right. And, and everything that's going going on um, and, and back again, back to our mental health. Right. So like, how do you care? 
is that called um i mean of course i i know giving tuesday but is uh is it called a I want to say it's called like Zadika or something like that. Zada, it's Zadaka. Zadaka. Yes. Zadika. She sounds Zadika. like a girl from New Jersey. No, Day. I love that. Uh, I'm giving Zadika. It's so much What's better. Zadika. Hashtag Zadika. <laughs> She's like, um, my real name is Angela, but it changes to Zadika for when I dance. <laughs> And she wears a lot of hoops. I love her. She's I love like my that, husband. Right? It's a little bit, right? <laughs> Somebody was asking me, like, if words didn't mean what they mean, what would be a good name, right? Like, like and I'm like, Chlamydia. Have you met my <laughs> daughter? Isn't it great? It's beautiful. Right? Have you met my daughter, Chlamydia? I think it's so beautiful. <laughs> it's a, it sounds like a flower in a way. That's right. You know, so like, yes, yeah, Zadaka. <laughs> so, Tadaka, yes. Tadaka, the, the Tadaka means charity, means to give means right means acts of righteousness right and i think um for me right so like that element of of uh acts of righteousness is so important and giving is so important even if you said just for the sake of giving because it's like it's flexing a muscle right it's a tool within ourselves and when we are able to give to others i think many times that triggers the question of what am i giving to myself mm -hmm. right? yeah because you have to fill the well. You, right. if you, we all know what that feeling is like when you've been giving and giving and you feel drained and burned out. We know this feeling. I started to have it yesterday, um, and it was exacerbated by overuse of caffeine. So I was so sped up, and <laughs> right. I could. I was like, oh, I'm gonna crash. I feel like super jazzed up, and I'm also doing a lot. I'm organizing a lot. I'm doing this and, doing and I had to really, and it wasn't that anybody was asking me to do this. These were all things I had chosen to do. Right. And, um, I did, there was some sort of a reading that I did related to, uh, I think sober literature yesterday. And it had something to do with, um, mm, now it's gone out of my head, but basically it was, it was about burnout and it was about how if you, if you empty the well, you will be dry and you will feel cracked and decrepit and in pain. And that is when I believe that I am more likely to have reactions and behave in ways that I feel shame about later. And the shame comes from underneath the shame is the fear that I've hurt someone and won't be loved. Right. And I am more likely to do those unconscious kind of actions, uh, whether publicly or, or privately in such a way. So last night I was just silly and I had fun being silly online, not out of service to anybody, just to be silly because it made me laugh to make a lot of jokes about Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel specifically <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> and that's fine. I had to make a silly video with my cat where I tried to explain one of my favorite songs to her, The Only Living Boy in New York. And it was just silly. And yes, I knew it would make people laugh. And of course I knew I would get the ego stroke of that and the, and the genuine joy. The genuine joy that's deeper than ego stroke of that. Uh, but it was also just fun. Right. And like, that's okay too. Right. Uh, so uh, we have a few minutes, I think, right? So like, you know, yeah. Yes, we haven't gotten to our text. I was thinking of the text and how we interpret the text. And that's, this to me is what we're going to look at with, with Talmud, you know? I mean, I think so often we, our lives can be very much devoted to um, reading something, a received text that we did not write or create ourselves. Right. And then 
interpreting it in different ways and talking about it until the end of time if we need to. And that there's a lot of beauty. I love that. There's a lot of joy in that. Right. No, I mean, for us, going to Texas is really important because it, it again, text is like a lens that we use to sort of like see because how you read a text um, almost always says more about you than the text itself. Um, yeah, because the text is the text. That's right. It doesn't. It doesn't have a personality right now. It doesn't have. It's something that was created, and there it is. That's right. And when you read it, you interpret it, and therefore you say something about yourself. So this particular text I chose from again from the Talmud, Tractate Sanhedrin, um, and I chose it because uh, right. If you if you listen to to Sarah's uh, podcast or in general, you know that she's fascinated with people where they come from and with the story, and so so I I thought about towns right. So this particular text says right. Uh, any town that does not have these 10 things, a scholar, right? Or the word here, Tamit Chacham, the, the, a wise person, I would say, right? Not just a scholar, a wise person, a good person, a righteous person is not permitted to live in there, right? So what does it need to have? Well, one, a court that administers lashes and other punishment. Okay, so this is right, 2,500 years ago. So, you know, so it has to have basically a court that has teeth, right? So not just like some you know, some, some uh, uh, random people say, but like it has to have, to have consequences, right? Two. Yeah, so it's not just symbolic. It's that's a right. real ju that's right. justice, which of course in this term is different maybe from how it would be meted out today. Here, Correct, but it has to have a system of justice. Right, whatever that is. Two, it has mm -hmm. to have a charity fund that is collected by two people and is distributed by three people, right? Which is really fascinating. It has to have a charity Right, that is collected by two and distributed at least by three. That is sort of like that. It's not top heavy, right? It's like two mm -hmm. people collecting and then it goes and sort of disseminates like a root system goes out, right? So it has to have charity. So the first two things need to be justice and then charity, right? Which and is the really charity is also a check on corruption. Absolutely. Too. Because if you have two people collecting and three people distributing, chances are one of them is going to notice if the other two, this is where my scumbag brain goes. I'm no, like, no, ah, like this that. is very <laughs> sensible. I think it's very practical. Yes. Right. And I think charity is also in many ways, the, the response also to justice because justice can be cruel and charity mm -hmm. is about going beyond the line of justice. Right. In fact, in this Judaism, we believe that that's what, that's what God prays for. He prays to always not just be uh, in the mood of justice, but to be in the mood of mercy. Um, beautiful. Right. So uh, then the third then the, the third thing has to ha sorry, the fourth thing has to have a synagogue. Right. Mm -hmm. It has to have a house of worship. Right. Some a spiritual center. Right. Which is important. It also has to have a bathhouse. Right. And I would say ba bathhouse both for cleanliness and healthy, but also, I think, for pleasure. Mm -hmm. You right? got to hang out and talk. Uh, hey, and you know, good like. I'm a gay man. They, you know, they, I know my way around. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you can administer lashes and other punishments consensually in the bathhouse. Like this is Ooh. very. You know, we, we can take this text and make it work I was, for a lot of situations. I was wondering situations. if kink were going to come into it, but like you know, I'm into it. Liz, oh, I'll make it sexy. <laughs> I'll go into a sacred uh, interpretive text and make it sexy. Uh, <laughs> it has to have an outhouse. A doctor. Well, uh, well, oh yeah, that's very sensible too. It has to have sensible. a house, right? <laughs> that. A doctor, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and a blood letter, right? Uh, uman. Also, it's funny because the the word the, the the modern Hebrew for uman is artist, right? Is master of art, right? So I don't oh. know if that's what they mean, but it means things. And then a scribe, of course. 
mm-hmm. right? Uh, a uh, a butcher, right? Mm-hmm. And a teacher of children, right? And a, and a teacher, right? Somebody you mm. think. And Rabbi Akiva, this other rabbi, also said, right? But also varieties of fruit are also required there, right? So whether you wanted to read it sort of uh, directly, fruit or metaphorically, when Rabbi Akiva says like, okay, but also some fruit. So either some fruits, hello, um, or... <laughs> Or <laughs> right, or sweetness though, sweet, sweet, exactly. some kind of sweetness, some, some fruit cakes maybe, loveliness. Sorry, yeah, I don't mean to be offensive <laughs> for anyone, but like I love this. Right. But also, I think in that sense, sort of a variety, something that's exotic, something that's sweet, right? And I think part of the question for a lot of time, for a lot of sort of people who read this, is like, what else would you put in? What would you take out, mm. right? In the sense that, like, if you were creating your town, right, and I think your town, both in terms of the rate where you actually live, right, you live, in my opinion, in the most perfect city in the world. You live in Los Angeles. I miss it terribly, uh, right? But, um, but in that sense, sort of like whether it is your physical town or our current town, right, our apartments, our houses, sort of like the. Right. It's a question mm. of what do you need to surround you to thrive and be a righteous person? Oh, this is really interesting. I, w- I would add. And this, of course, is, is uh, very a very modern thing. But of course, we're speaking in modern terms. Of I course. would say a park, a public park, green yeah. space. I would say green space for where everyone is welcome, because, you know, of course, in this time period, um, it was probably pretty easy to get to the wilderness. You don't have to go too far, whether that was a desert, that was a forest, what have you. Um, now, for a lot of us living in urban or suburban environments, or even agricultural environments that uh, are very managed, there's not a lot of wildness necessarily to it or a lot of free-flowing green stuff. So I would say, and in your own house, that could mean having a plant, which That's I'm right. trying to figure out. I need to get one now that I have a cat that won't kill her. Uh, it's funny because I was the, just the thinking food. one too, and I was like, I should get rosemary. I mean, I don't have a cat, yeah. but I was like, you know, maybe if I have I a plant, might as well be a plant that I can use for something. And it's, it smells so good. It That's has right. aromatherapeutic qualities. You can use it in food, obviously, cooking. Um, yeah, uh, see, a, a, a green, green things. Because now at this time period, of course, that's not written out for various reasons. One of which is that the, the, the wilderness was there. Nature was there. Nature was creeping in all the time, probably, right. even in the cities. But now that is a necessity. So that would be my modern addition, I think. Right. Anything you would take out? I think they really, I think they really got this. I mean, yeah, they really nailed it. I would say, you know, if we adjust the outhouse to be the modern bathroom. Right. I would like for me just like take away the lashes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. I would, I would, I would do an asterisk and say these have to be consensual lashes, like right. no corporal punishment. <laughs> right. You'd be like, ooh, I, actually, the yeah, I'll take twenty lashes, please. Yeah, maybe it's like a charity bathhouse where you can two two people administer it and three people distribute it, but it's all consensual and everything goes to like a a hunger charity or something. Like, like I think it, we can really work with this. Leave it up to us to sort of take this Talmudic text and create it like a, a sex scene. 
Oh yeah, totally. No, well, I'll, I will fully go there. But it's you've got pretty much everything you need, and even right. a butcher. Somebody could be listening right now and go, "Well, I'm a vegan. I don't need a butcher." Okay, so maybe in your mind, it's make make it a wonderful. Um, not that a vegan would think that necessarily, but a, right. a preparer of things, somebody who knows how to prepare the the raw materials into something nutritious and delicious. Also, right. like that, that's important to have a culinary artist of some kind. Absolutely. That's a good thing. So, so parting thoughts, like, so you talk, we talk about need, right? Things you need around you, like any, any mental health advice on, um, maybe something you need versus something you want. Mm, yeah. I think it's good to, to look at your needs versus your wants. I think it's a good exercise. If you're listening to take a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle and say needs, wants, and, and sometimes sometimes those two things are going to intersect, which is really exciting. So right. I, I, for example, need to tell stories and I want to tell stories. Now I'm not talking, obviously we're not talking about the most fundamental needs. So we're going beyond shelter, right. you know, water. Although for some, water for some that's not, you know, for some that's not obvious, but yes, but. I would oh, say. for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we're, we're going, I need, I need, affordable health care. I want affordable health care. I, I need clean drinking water. I want clean drinking water. You can include those things too. Right. But I I need uh you know I need I need to have a house that has some color in it, some physical pops of color in it. Um and that's uh I need that too. so I, I what I'm saying is I need I need fill in the blank to feel uh as best as I can. That's good. So I'm not just going with like survival to thrive. Let's say I right. need blank to thrive. Right. Uh, it's it's a good exercise to do that, and I, I think that you may find that, for example, my I need to to really thrive. You can see my house behind me is quite messy right now. Uh, there's more that you can't see. That's very messy. I like the I, I like this little pasta. I mean, those you can see, but there's like a pasta maker attached to the, to the counter. Yeah, I, that. I have it attached to my counters because you never know. I'm right. like, I'm not removing it. Like, I don't know when I'm going to, and you know, you clean it and uh, with a brush and get in there. And But, you know, I, I need to tidy this house to function at my optimum. So, and I want, I, but you know what? I don't want to. I don't want to friggin' clean up, <laughs> but I know that I need to. Right. I don't want to take a my Prozac every day. I don't want to, but I know that I need to because I have you get two to. decades of data that show me it works. And right. it works. I would say you get to. I get to. Yes, get exactly. To. And this is another thing that we talked we talked about. What a joy. I woke up this morning. I thought of you because I said to my cat, Polly, we get another one. Like <laughs> we get another. What a joy uh, to have another day to screw up or enjoy. That's or right. As we that's like. right. That's right. And then lastly, something you want. Put it out in the universe. What do you want in the universe? I you don't need want, it, but you want it. I want a wonderful, sexy, loving, committed, monogamous partner sometime in the next. And so it shall years. be. And so it shall be. And exactly. so much it be. Exactly. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. This you is this so is great, much, right? If you are interested, and you should, right? Sort of like Sarah Benincasa, her uh, podcast on all the platforms, just like ours. Well, this is a normal. 
um right mm -hmm. say that different things well this is normal well this well, isn't normal. this isn't normal <laughs> and then at uh, sarah j benincasa on twitter the, the the j is for juliana which i chose as a confirmation name oh, she was okay. stoned to death in the seventh century for being a virgin allegedly and when i was in eighth grade i was like that sounds great i'm gonna pick that as my confirmation <laughs> name okay sis because i'm gonna be a virgin until i'm married Ugh. there you go uh oh, so wait so sarah. that's what that's your twitter right uh, Sarah J. Benincasa Sarah on J. Twitter Benincasa, and Instagram. Yep. And then right mm -hmm. on Instagram, uh, there is, well, this is a normal, right? And also, mm -hmm. yes. uh, right? Thank and you. also your uh, other one, right? Which is uh, Sarah Benincasa, I think, right? Yeah, Sarah J. Benincasa um, on Twitter and Instagram. And then, well, this isn't normal. Right. There you go. Um, and we are Tattoos and Torah. Also, of course, uh, on all the platforms, uh, just as Sarah's, Apple, Stitcher, Anchor, Spotify, whatever, uh, wherever you find it, uh, on uh, I, Twitter, I'm Miguel GM, and we are at the Chuva Center. And again, this uh, next week is Giving Tuesday, May 5th, uh, hashtag Giving Tuesday now. Um, so we encourage everybody to be of service and give uh, whatever you can to the charity that you feel deserves your um, very hard-earned money these days. So, but giving is always part of being of service, which is always good for the soul. Uh, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Sarah. Um, this has been a real delight. Thank you.